As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light. And joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, back from a week at the beach. I would say well-rested and looking good, but you don't look great, Ari. You're a little under the weather. Yeah. No, I feel a little bit better than I did yesterday, but I just don't think that my body can handle four-day beach benders anymore. Yeah. You're not, uh, you're not a young... You're, well, you're, not, you're not so young anymore, Ari. Did you... You know, you stopped drinking, um, but you had some pretty par- big party days when you were younger, right? Yeah, okay. I'm not... I not like, handle it anymore. I haven't, like, stopped cold turkey. I just don't drink much anymore. I make it sound no, like... I know, I was, but you yeah. used to... You used to... You're... I mean, yeah. you used to go hard, I heard. Yeah, yeah, I had some... Yeah, I had some good times. And then I guess there comes a point in your life where you just can't do it anymore. Well, I've, as I've said many times, it was, it was with young children. I just did not want to get up early in the morning, at five in the morning, with a baby screaming, hungover, so... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of fun, but I'm paying for it this week, but I'm, I'm on the up and up now. Okay. So next I, time, I maybe take a, a vacation, nasally, take, but... you know, three extra days too. Okay. I'll, I'll consider that. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, if I would have taken three extra days this time, then I would have missed the entire top 100 committing. So it, uh, I came back at the right time, I think. Yeah. I was going to say, I, obviously a very, vis- very busy time in recruiting, very busy show today. We're going to hit on... What was, it's been an, after a little bit of a lull, some interesting quarterback twists, dominoes falling. Uh, we're going to talk about some first year coaches who have rebounded after relatively slow starts. I want to hit on a program that is quietly not getting it done on the trail. We'll have obviously a list of res- recent commitments, notable commitments. We can't go over them all because there's too many. We're going to have trivia and we will hit the mailbag if there's time. I know you want to hit on a topic, but first, let's talk about the quarterback, because obviously we, we spent a lot of time talking about Arch Manning over the months, and rightfully so, and then when he committed, we had special bonus pods and everything. It was huge news, and by the time Arch committed, you know, I would say, what, 90% of your lead, like 27 of the top 30 quarterbacks were off the board. One of the big ones who was not, Ari, was Dante Moore, young man from uh, MLK High School in Detroit, who you saw at the Elite 11, wrote a story on. No big surprise, but made it official going to Oregon. First, talk about the 
obviously a big boon for Oregon in a time of uncertainty at that program, and then another not great look for the head coach in the University of Michigan. Yeah, um, I guess like before I got to the opening, the the assumption was that Dante was going to go to Oregon, and um, you know, so it's not a surprise from that standpoint that that's where he ended up going. I think the most interesting thing about it, Mitch, is that. He committed to Oregon, I think, like three days after USC and UCLA left the Pac-12. Um, and that's going to have a direct impact, as you pointed out, in, in the story on his career. Because if he gets there in 23 and then he's a redshirt freshman or sophomore in 24, like as things stand right now, Oregon's going to be in a, in a different type of conference than it is right now. Um, and, you know, who knows? Things change fast in, in college football. Maybe Oregon won't be in the Pac-12 either. But... Um, it's a, certainly it's, it's a huge get for Dan Lanning, you know, to, to have the quarterback and the five-star player um, to build around in the class and, you know, the type of commitment that you would expect from Mario Cristobal there. So um, certainly I think that that's a huge get for Oregon. Um, you know, I think it says more about Michigan right now than it does about Oregon. Um, it's just you would think that after, you know, getting over the hump and kicking the crap out of Ohio State, winning the Big Ten, that – that might have been the catalyst for a huge recruiting boon for for Michigan. And, you know, I don't think they have a single commitment in the top 200 right now. Their class ranks outside of the top 40. There's not a lot of buzz about, you know, to some of the players that they're involved with, and it's just not going well for them. So, you know, huge news for Oregon. And I think that, um, you know, Dan Lanning is one of the, the few um, first-year head coaches at big-time programs that had a huge week. Um, but also Michigan, I think, is struggling pretty good. Yeah, and, and you know, we don't need to rehash this, but – you know, this coming few weeks after C.J. Carr, uh, 24 five-star from mm-hmm. Michigan. So it's not, you know, we can look this up, uh, you know, how often there have been five-star quarterbacks in back-to-back years in the University of Michigan. And, and as you alluded to, it's not like – In the state of Michigan. Yeah, in the state of Michigan. Yeah, it's, yeah, not well. like it, it, it's not like it caught Michigan at a time when they were going four and eight two years in a row or whatever. I'm sure they, they, they won the Big Ten last year. It's not like they don't have yeah. anything to sell right now. So that's uh, disappointing for that program. This one you can come up with any excuse that you want, though, too, Mitch. Like, I mean, people say, hey, you know, Harbaugh uh, was flirting with the NFL last year, and that makes them a little bit more uh, shaky as it pertains to, you know, the stability of their coaching situation. And, you know, Michigan doesn't want to participate in the NIL game. And it's just kind of like, um, you know, I made this point with a friend of mine who's a Michigan fan a few weeks ago. I was just to him, talking to him on the phone. And, you know, there seems to be this this aura of, you know, we do things differently. We're better than being a football factory uh, mentality at Michigan where they don't want to go all in on all the things that some of their competitors are doing in order to get the best players on their roster. And Marcus Freeman, I think, did a really good job of explaining this, you know, when he first took over the Notre Dame job. And as you can be a, a, a proud academic institution that emphasizes those things and be a football factory at the same time. Like, I don't know why it has to be one or the other. And, you know, Notre Dame now, has maybe the best class in program history building. And, you know, it's okay uh, to to participate in those types of things. And I just don't know why it has to be one or the other. And I know that people talk about online classes and, you know, you don't have to, you know, work as hard in the classroom at other places. And that may or may not be true. But like Michigan is a place that's situated in a pretty solid, you know, geographical area. It's got a huge tradition. Their stadium's beautiful recently renovated you know their uniforms are cool they've got a great education like there's no reason why and, and i've thought this for for the last five years why they aren't recruiting in the top five um 
you know, and it just doesn't seem to be clicking there. And I don't really know exactly what the reason is. And it's just like, if the answer to that question is, well, they're not participating in NIL the same way that everybody else is, that could either be a cop out or it could be true. And if it's true, then the question I'm asking is, you know, a, a program like Michigan that has more money than God and donors with more money than you can ever imagine around it. Like, why aren't they participating in it? Is there like this like level of self-importance that's just like, we don't want to do that? Because like, to me, it just seems like it's the perfect time for them to turn the program around. And just like, whatever the reason that you come up with, it's just like, either you're you're trying to win a Big Ten championship and beat football factories like Ohio State every year, or you're not. And it just doesn't seem like the program is all that engaged in being what I think it actually could be. And that would be frustrating if I were a Michigan fan. Yeah, as we are speaking, we're recording Wednesday. We need to amend the recruit and top whatever uh, at Michigan because they just got a commitment from is it Eno Etta the the uh, edge rusher the defensive lineman from from Collierville Texas ranked 125 in the 247 just committed to Michigan so obviously you know a, a good get there but all all fair points on, on Michigan yeah and 100 and top 125 player that I think was at one point um, leaning towards Michigan State so um, you know that's a that's a big get for Michigan not only. Um, because he's a good player, but also because it keeps him out of the rival's locker room. So, you know, that, that's certainly kind of a funny timing for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right after I just went on a rant about how they weren't doing good enough. But, you know, anybody who's following the state of Michigan, uh, you know, Wolverines football knows what I'm saying. And, you know, they might get I'm not saying they're never going to sign a player again, but they're just on the outside looking in at elite classes right now. And and I, I wonder if, you know. If that's going to change, why it's not changing and what the fans think about it. I'd be curious just to hear. An interesting, you know, Dylan Lonergan was a guy we have not talked about much on the podcast. He was, uh, you know, top 10. I don't know if he's been top 10 quarterback all, all throughout the whole cycle, but he's n- number 93 overall, number nine. This kid who wants to play two sports in high school at, at one point was considered maybe like a French first round draft pick in baseball, but I don't think he's he's at that level right now. A lot of South Carolina buzz, a little bit of Ohio State buzz throughout the process. Stanford committed to Alabama uh, the other day. And I don't want to give this away because our trivia question is about schools that have signed multiple top 100 players in the same year. But let's just say it doesn't happen very often, definitely in, in recent times. So Alabama getting Eli Holstein uh, much earlier, well, a couple months ago, and then now Dylan Lonergan getting two quarterbacks. So you made an interesting point in a story that published this morning. You just had kind of recruiting thoughts like, hey, I'm back from vacation. Here are my thoughts. I almost pushed back on this, but, you know, it was your opinion, so I just let it stay there. Like, you said, what would you rather? Wow, that's actually something that's new for I know, you. I know, I know. I, you know, well, my- Thank you for not waterboarding <laughs> me with your thoughts on my opinions. Yes. I appreciate it. This is what the podcast is for. Yeah, exactly. You pose, would you rather have Arch Manning or two top 100 quarterbacks in your class. And I was like, of course I'd rather have the number one player in the country. I was shocked that you even... You would? Yes, I was shocked that you'd even pose that question. I get it. You have a better chance of one of them hitting, but you're talking about the number one perfect recruiting ranking, you know, one of, in theory, one of the top prospects in the modern recruiting era. I was shocked that I, you of all people said I, that. I think that I would rather take Manning at Texas... But for Alabama's purposes, I think this is better. Why? Like Texas is, you know, got the number one overall player in the country, and that's going to pay. They already have the number one overall player in the class. country from Quinn Ewers. No, I know. Manning is. I don't think we should even refer to Manning as the number one player in the country. He's like a recruiting, like 
myth. Like, I don't even know how to describe him. I, feel, but, I don't even know you anymore, like, You would not take the number one. You, you, you Like, if you were doing the NBA in the draft, you'd trade the number one. You don't even let me explain you, it you trade the number one pick for, like, the number 18 and number 20 pick? That's not the same thing as okay, this. Okay, the number nine and the number 10 pick? I don't think this is the same thing as this at all. Okay. You're talking about two top 100 quarterbacks. How many How many top 100 players at quarterback are there in the class? Eight? Nine. Well, nine? well Lonergan's number 93 overall, and he's number nine. So, I don't know. Okay, yeah. so. Nine or ten. And I, as somebody who's gone to the opening. In Ooh, the Elite I've 11 been to the lot, opening. No, I'm, it's true, though. Like, these guys are all really, really, really good. And I think that if you have two top 100 players, you have a better chance of hitting on one than you do if you only have one. Now, the benefits of getting Arch Manning, you know, outweigh the the potential of hitting at the quarterback position in a place that needs it. Like Texas needs the boost that that brings to their program in the way that it was significant and then what it means for Texas football. But Alabama's already built. They don't need any extra cachet or credit or street cred um, with their recruiting classes. So they got two players that are top 100 quarterbacks. One will all but certainly transfer and the one that won't will probably be a finals for the Heisman. So well, he's got five star right now. Ty Simpson is a freshman. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll say like at Alabama. If you're, if, if you're going to make me come to your side of the argument, I would say Alabama makes more sense than almost, you know, maybe Ohio state as well. It's pick a random program. Uh, the mythical benefits that Texas got from landing Manning are huge tent poles for how they can build their program. And I think that's an immeasurable asset to that program. But when you're talking about a program that already is what Texas wishes it could be, then getting two top 100 players, letting them duke it out in a class to become the next quarterback is a very good situation. Let, so, let me, like to me, I, I don't want anybody to take take that me because if I had the number one overall pick and LeBron James was in the draft, like I would not trade down to get two role players at nine and eleven instead of LeBron. That's not the point at all that I'm making. The point that I'm making is that the difference between Arch Manning and those two quarterbacks might not be that drastic. And getting two in a program where quarterbacks are at a premium and transferring every other year um, is just better for the longevity of their quarterback room. So, you know, I don't Can know. Can I play I, Devil's Advocate? Maybe Abby? I'll be wrong about that. Devil's you Advocate. Have been, haven't you? Yeah, again, the Alabama angle. If Alabama's got a five-star in Ty Simpson in the 22-22 class, let's assume they're going to sign a five-star in 24. I don't think that's a bold assumption. So I would say that the two top 100 guys they have are probably not have a don't have a great chance of beating out those two five stars in the class before and after. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So I would rather have the number one guy in Arch Manning who's got a better chance of beating them out. Because if it doesn't happen, then you've got five stars on both sides. I mean, the way that you just described it is like the like head coach's wet dream yeah. in both scenarios. So like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, like, would you rather have five players that might not be able to jump the guy or two or the, or the I don't know. They're both amazing. Yeah. Like, okay, uh, we don't need to spend any more time. I, on this. I, I think it's an interesting debate, though, and I just want people to know that like when you go to the Elite 11 and you watch all these guys on the same field at the same time, it really is hard to decipher who the best player is because they're all very good. Like the number nine, like 393 overall player in the country standing next to Dante Moore on the same field doing the same drills. That was very similar. Like Chris Parson, the kid that decommitted from from Florida State was awesome, you know, and he might not have the same size, but wherever he goes, they're going to be really happy with him. And it's like that guy's not even in the top 100. Now imagine stacking two top 100 players, um, which are basically two fringe five star quarterbacks in the same position in the same class. You give yourself a lot of wiggle room in terms of how to figure out 
how the quarterback position is going to pan out in your in your program during a time in which quarterback rooms fall apart at the drop of a hat at any given moment. So, you know, I, I'm not trying to say that Arch Manning isn't great. I'm sure he is. But if I were Alabama, I think I'd rather take two top one, top Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, any of those teams that doesn't need the extra like oomph that that he gives you. I think for the long term, you know, outlook of your quarterback room, it'd probably be better to have two top 100 studs. All right. Um, Because I'll look at you right now, Mitch. One of those guys is going to win the Heisman probably. You think either Eli Holstein or Dylan Lonergan is going to win the Heisman. I'll bet you they won't. I will bet you. I'll bet you. If you give. I'll give you Manning. And well, actually, this would be a good bet for you because Manning's last name is going to make it easy to vote (laughs) for him if he's even remotely good. I'll bet you one of those two players wins the Heisman before Manning. Okay. So I get Manning. You get those two guys. And I get those two. Okay. And if one of them transfers, then I guess I lose. Right. But Okay, what's the bet? I'm not a high roller like you. $6. D- dinner, well, next time we see each- – well, we can't – I mean, this bet's not – it's basically until they're done with their eligibility, right? Or until either one, yeah, one of them wins the Heisman. I don't know. This is a, I mean, this is a long-term that- bet. A dinner. We'll bet a dinner. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who are actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. And it's time you join that number. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash CFB23. That's linkedin.com slash CFB and the numbers 2-3 to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, all right. A little more quarterback news. Um, Brock Glenn, who you might have just mentioned. No, you didn't mention. We, we were talking because you mentioned Chris Parson, which not still, still, yeah. It's it's. I mentioned around. Yes, him. not a huge surprise that Chris Parson decommitted from Florida State. Um, local kid here from from suburban Nashville, Ravenwood High School. That's where Taylor Swift lives. No, I don't think so. Brentwood. Yeah, maybe. I thought Isn't she, it like the upscale we, area. Yeah, it's a very wealthy area. I thought she lived north. I think we've been over this in the pot. I think she lives north of town. Um, are you going to come look look for her when you come here next month? I've been to, into the Brentwood neighborhood before. Um, Brentwood's pretty big. It's a big suburb. Yeah, maybe it wasn't Brentwood. Yeah, I, don't think I thought that Brentwood was like the nice upscale it neighborhood. It is. I mean, it's a very wealthy, it's like the richest 
town in Tennessee. Midtown Nashville is a midtown apartment. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying to find this out. You can talk, and I'm, I'll search uh, real estate. But then what? Um, so Chris Parson decommitted from Flor- Forest Hills, Florida State. Forest? Does she live in Forest Hills? Is Forest Hills nice? Very nice. That's in Nashville, though. That's a neighborhood in Nashville. Okay, yeah. so it's not Brentwood. No, Nashville. Um, can I go on? It's eighty-one. It's eighty-one million dollars. Her house. I'll tell you one thing, dude. And I don't know, like where Taylor Swift grew up. Yeah. Like maybe did she grow up in Nashville? I think she grew up in Pennsylvania and then moved to Nashville when she was young. To, okay. To pursue her career. If you're spending eighty-one million dollars on a property and it doesn't have a view of the ocean, then what are you doing with yourself? So you, did, her house is eighty-one million. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Nashville. You know, there's, there's some some lofty real estate. Well, no, I know. I'll take you, eighty-one mil. I'll take you. We'll drive by there when you come here. Okay. I'll just. I would buy like five, seven million dollar houses that all are sick in every state that's by the ocean. So you wouldn't take the Archimani of houses. You would have the fringe top one hundred houses. I mean, would you rather have <laughs> uh, Lincoln Riley's house or an eighty-one million dollar estate in Nashville? Uh, when Lincoln Riley's house costs a third of that. Probably, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's a good question. They're both good houses. What do you mean you don't? I don't know. know. I've never been to. You know, I haven't seen. Have you seen pictures of his yes. house? Probably Lincoln Riley's like house because I don't need, like I don't need a house that's eighty one million. Like, can, can I continue on quarterbacks? You're not the right person to have no, this discussion with. I'm going to talk about it with Andy. Okay, good. Because you're you're. Uh, I'm a simple man. I'm just asking you what house you'd rather have. Probably the one at the beach because I don't need. I don't think anyone needs an eighty one million dollar house. Yeah. Um, so inland. Yeah, inland. Yeah. Can I talk? Can I continue about the quarterbacks? Yeah. Okay. So Chris Parson, a lot of Mississippi State rumor moment. He seems like you said he's kind of on the short side for a quarterback. He's like six feet. He's listed at six foot and a half. Seems like the type is going to throw for a million yards for Mike Leach. Then, like, like I don't know. Maybe Mike Leach just have tall quarterbacks, but it just seems like in that offense, maybe you just. You okay there, Chief? Feel like you're having some. Uh, yeah, I just I've, I have some uh, flat. <laughs> this podcast. So I wrote, I wrote in the um, I wrote in the story. That published on the Athletic on Wednesday morning, but at the end of the first day at the Elite Eleven, they had this drill where you had to throw into um, tight windows, and when you um, miss a throw and it's not like a spiral or perfectly going, then you get eliminated from the tournament. And C.J. Stroud and Caleb Williams were participating in this in this drill, and um, Chris Parson, like he was like a tight windows drill. You had to have a tight spiral. It had to have some buzz on the ball, and it had to go through those tight windows or you were eliminated. Chris Parson was winning the drill, and I looked over to Antonio, and I thought, I said, who the hell is that? Because I thought that Chris Parson was a college quarterback. The way that he, I thought he was one of the college counselors. I was like, am I missing something? Because like the year before, Malik Willis was there, and I had no idea who he was until somebody told me. And I thought, hey, is this like some low like the lower end program quarterback that's going to be awesome this year and be a first round pick that I didn't know about until now. And like Antonio was like, no, that's a three-star prospect from Nashville. And I was like, what? He beat out CJ Stroud and Caleb Williams in the drill. Um, he was awesome. So, so like they, they listed him at six foot and a half. Uh, I'm five eleven, and I was taller than him. So like, I think he's got to be five. Wow. Wow. So the point being that, uh, you know, Florida State now without a quarterback, but Brock Glenn seems to be some, there's a lot of Auburn momentum early with Brock Glenn. 
seems to be mm-hmm. uh, trending towards Florida State. Now Brock Glenn and Austin Novoset still on Ohio State's board. Notre Dame, this happened just this happened since you were back. Notre Dame offered um, Austin Novoset, who you wrote about, basically deciding between committed to Baylor, but basically says you know he's committed, but he's choosing between Baylor, Ohio State, and Texas A and M. Um, but I, Notre Dame coming into the equation, kind of a flex there from, uh, from, from the Irish coming in late saying, Hey, what about us? Yeah. Um, I wonder if that, I mean, a lot of times when these types of things happen, um, you know, it just is a, the first thing that happens before the next thing that happens makes sense. So, you know, I hope that Florida state gets somebody cause you know, their recruiting coordinator is really on the ball. He knows what he's doing, man. And I, I feel like, Florida State's just been kind of like the house of pain when it comes to it ever since uh, uh, their little mishap on signing day last year with Travis Hunter. So, um, you know, it, Miami's done some big things in the past week, and I'm sure we'll get to that. And Florida got a few, you know, important commits, flipped a, a Penn State quarterback commit who was also at the Elite 11. And, you know, it just seems like Florida State's just kind of stuck in the mud a little bit. And so what happens you know, if they just yeah, go, go ahead, finish your thought. Well, they just landed another top 110 ranked offensive lineman, didn't they? From that was really high on Florida's board. Yeah, doing it's like I want doing I well in the like offensive, it, doing well in the line, line of scrimmage of all places. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They need to do a little trade with USC, USC going. Then. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think like in this in this world, like it's possible for Florida State, Florida, and Miami to all be good at the same time. You know, especially because Cristobal's done such a good job of like recruiting nationally. So, um. I don't know. I don't know. It's just like a crazy thing that Florida State's got such rich tradition and history of being awesome. And it just like seems to be stuck in this like this mode of mediocrity. And it's just like it takes one class to get out of it. And they just can't get there, I feel like. And it's just like I'm waiting for it to happen. And maybe Brock Glenn will, will come in and that'll be it. But you know, that was a, a big loss uh, for the time being. Yeah. So Ohio, real quick on Ohio State, do you think – if you would have told me a couple of weeks ago when they offered, they brought Novosad in and Glenn in for visits and offered them both. If you would have told me they were going to get neither, I'd have been shocked just because it's Ohio State. But I'd say right now they're more likely to get neither than one of them, wouldn't you? Yeah, I don't think they're going to get either of them. Um, and I probably would have agreed with you that that would have been crazy. But it's just like a, another reminder of how hard it is to recruit an elite level quarterback and sandwich them in between multiple classes with five star quarterbacks in them. Um, you know, and that's what makes Alabama's two top 100 players in the same class, uh, you know, situation really, I mean, going back to what we were arguing about, uh, really impressive. So, you know, I, I wonder if Ohio State's going to try to flip somebody, you know, like a Chris Parson type player who, who you know, maybe he's a bad example, but like a, a guy who's... J.J. Uh, Cole, I know uh, you guys have talked J.J. about J.J. Cole, we talked about him at the Iowa State commit or, you know, the Purdue kid that's, that's in the top 200 that's committed there. Richie like Collins, yeah. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of programs that have solid elite eleven performers uh, that are committed that Ohio State could you know take, and I'm wondering if they're going to do that. Um, so uh, you know, but right now Novasad, I-, I thought that he was going to commit less than a week after Ohio State offered, and it's been like what a month and a half, yep. and maybe a month, and he's got Texas A and M, Notre Dame, and Baylor still in the mix. He was committed to. Uh, I just I don't see it happening for either of them. So it'd be interesting to see if they, like you said, if they just they punt on this or look at the portal. It's and it's not a case with Ohio State of them feeling like they need it for a number standpoint. Just they can't get stuck with one or two scholarship quarterbacks in twenty three. They need 
you need a certain amount of quarterbacks to yeah. practice. This isn't a just, oh, we, we, we feel like we want a guy in every class. So they, they absolutely need to add to that room. Yeah, and it's funny because they're, they kind of dragged their feet at the beginning of the cycle on quarterbacks, it felt like. And now there's like a, a sense of urgency that they need one. It's like their actions at the beginning don't match what they need now. But also at the same time, like anybody who can break down their their uh, their roster right now um, knows that that's what this spot is for. So it's kind of hard to sell somebody who is being pitched be the face of our program, the guy to be come in and be a placeholder. You know, and you never know. Like you go to Ohio State and you perform well and you become the starter. Like that's a really great thing. But I mean, I don't know. Would you rather go take your chances at Ohio State or just sign with you know someone else and be the man from day one? Everybody's different. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so we, we could go one of two ways here. I know you wanted to hit on a theme that you kind of wrote about, or we could go school by school. You, 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 want, to, you want to go like kind of what – just talk about some first-year coaches that have rebounded. I mean, why don't you just run people through like what people did? Okay. Uh, I, I feel like this entire podcast could just be you reading off like commitments, but there was a lot that happened this week. And if and I'm assuming the people that listen to the show are pretty generally aware of yeah we so yeah we, who went where but we won't but, go we're, yeah we're, we're gonna hit more although like, the point of it is is that every single first year coach at these big time programs that I've been excited to track had a big week yeah so go ahead and take okay it there's there. I want to backtrack because one thing we did not talk about uh, it happened since uh, you were on vacation last week so we couldn't talk about it he committed on the Thursday of realignment. Uh, whatever Armageddon, whatever. One of the biggest commitments in the last few years. That's Caden Proctor committing to Iowa. I mean, just talk and about. I probably should have put that in my story on Wednesday. <laughs> now that you mention it, talk about a guy just and hey, if you're an offensive lineman and you commit to Iowa, you probably aren't into the fanfare of recruiting. So I'm sure he doesn't care. But talk about a big time commitment that got less fanfare. It's because of what happened in the college football world that day. But Caden Proctor, the, the number one recruit, modern recruiting history, the number one kid from the state of Ohio and the number one signee for Ohio. Iowa. Uh, did I say Ohio? Mm-hmm. So You're Iowa. just a big Buckeye fan. Yeah, big homer. Um, um, just huge news. It was hilarious because he tweeted his recruiting graphic like an hour after <laughs> Wilner posted yeah. the breaking news about USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. And I retweeted it. It's the biggest uh, Big Ten news of the day. <laughs> yeah. Because it was just like, that would have been a, a huge commitment and the biggest commitment of a week, um, you know, at any other week. But yeah, I mean, Iowa's done a good job of like, that's the thing that we always say, right? Like if you're in a state that doesn't have a ton of talent typically, and then there's a five-star prospect that just rises up out of your state, like you got to get those guys. And Iowa's done it in back-to-back years out of the same high school. And last year, um, Xavier Nwankpo was considering Ohio State, I think in Notre Dame and, yep. and Iowa held on and this was an Alabama-Iowa uh, battle, and Alabama lost. So um, kudos to Kirk Ferentz and his staff for doing that, and definitely the exact type of Iowa prospect that you would expect would do that. Like, I was more surprised that Nwankba didn't leave and become a defensive back somewhere, you know, in SEC country or, you know, in the Big Ten in a, you know, program that churns out first-round draft picks. But if you're looking for a big, burly offensive lineman that wants to play in, in 10 to 7 games – that's exactly who uh, you would expect they would get. So, um, no, it's definitely a huge get for Iowa and for, all the credit in the world for, for being able to lock them down. For what it means to their program, this is like an Arch Manning get for Iowa. Like the number one recruit in the state of program, this number one recruit in the history of the state, staying in-state at a position in which you thrive as far as going around nationally and saying, hey, 
this kid picked us over Alabama. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for you. Sort of like what we said about Texas and Arch Manning. Am I yeah, overstating I that? I, I think a little bit, yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's not impactful. Um, I just like now would be wary to compare anything that, to Arch Manning because I've never seen anything like that before. Um, and they did it last year. So, um, Who would you rather play quarterback, Arch Manning or two Caden Proctors? Quarterback? Yeah. Probably Arch Manning. Okay. But if you said, and I guess if you if you asked me, like at Alabama, would you rather have Arch Manning or two Caden Proctors? I would have that discussion. Yeah, that is a good... At Iowa, at Iowa, probably the quarterback, <laughs> obviously. But, you know, the thing that, that is tough about recruiting, too, is that you can make statements and it's really hard um, to, to have real discussions about them because context is always at a premium. And, like... The context of what Alabama needs and who they are is diff- is drastically different um, for Iowa. So you could make a statement about Alabama and think that that's true, and that same exact statement for a place like Iowa would be ridiculous. So like if you you have to always take into account like where programs at and what you know where they you know have thrived in the past and you know I don't know. I always used to say on Andy's show uh, that I think that getting a five-star quarterback that's a hit is the equivalent of three five-stars hitting at other positions. So maybe I would still take the five-star quarterback over the offensive tackles. But, you know, when Antonio Morales and I did the right. um, did the, the survey of how they would use their NIL money, like left tackle was at the top of the list for everyone. So um can't understate how important that was. All right. Let's talk about your beloved Florida Gators. Um, flipped Marcus Stokes, a four-star quarterback from Penn State. I thought it was funny. Like I didn't read all the quotes, but I saw because he was still committed to Penn State when he was at the Elite Eleven. I saw some quotes him talking about James Franklin and Penn State and all that. And don't you? At that point, he probably pretty much knew he was going to flip. Uh, you know, or he had it in his mind, so he had to put on a uh, a happy face there. But then Eugene, in the, in the past week, they also get Eugene Wilson, four-star athlete from. Tampa, number 147. Trayon Webb, a kid they've been recruiting a while with South Carolina, a running back from Jacksonville, four-star. So the class is number 21 right now. 12 commits, no top 100, top 100 commits. But you're still you're still liking what y- your buddy Bill Napier doing. It was Napier's a big doing. week. I mean, after the, like, Jaden Rashada week where everyone's like, oh, my God, it's Dan Mullen again. You know, you could have gone into a, a hole of depression and sucked, you know, and – to respond by getting the players that they got, I thought was a, a nice little, um, you know, response to that. So it's not like I think they're going to go win a national championship now. But if you get an elite eleven quarterback, then you get an elite eleven quarterback in your in your class after missing Rashada. I think that's a nice little little pep in your step. And then you got a few top, you know, two hundred players, you know, on top of that. Um, it was a nice response. So you know, it certainly wasn't what Miami did. And it's 30 minutes into the podcast, and we haven't mentioned it yet. And I don't know if you're just doing it to torture our producer, who's a big Miami fan, but I think Miami signed like or got commitments from six players in the top 150, and they were all the top six players in their class right now, including a five-star offensive lineman. Yeah, we talked a lot about Miami, honestly, last week. Um, Oh. A lot of that. um, Was I on the show last week? No, you were on vacation, Ari, so we had some guest hosts. They did a great job. You should go back and listen. But Florida, I'm going to keep hitting these numbers. Their average player rating, 90.54. Mullen's last two cycles, 90.3 and 90.74. And I got a, we got a comment from a listener, Bill from Columbus, Ohio, said Ari criticizes Ohio State for having a Penn State class, gives Billy Napier props 
props for literally building a Penn State class. Is that Landis? Bill L. from Columbus, Ohio. Um, that's again what I just said about context. <laughs> okay, you can you, know? you can take that offline with Mister uh, with Mister Bill. If that's if it's Dollar B from from <laughs> Columbus, it's just like I would hope that my co my coworker would understand context. Yeah, but he doesn't. So okay, um, that's I, I'm not sure that's who I'd want as my Ohio State writer. But you know, <laughs> if he can't tell the difference between uh, criticizing Ohio State and propping up a program that hasn't recruited shit for the past four years. <laughs> Then you know he has to go, you know, kind of rearrange the way that he views things. Okay, okay, we'll we'll take that offline. But if that wasn't Landis, it was. <laughs> then I'm sorry if it's just a regular reader, but Landis should know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we we can't we can talk about Miami, obviously. Um, and did you see before we got on? It looks like they're getting some crystal balls for uh, Samson Okunlola. Uh, yeah, crystal balls. Yeah, um, which Mario crystal balls. Yes, which would. Obviously, be huge. You know, four star. You know, you mentioned two five star offensive linemen. Let's go. Four star Jaden Wayne, uh, number forty one, which is very especially this year. Aren't there like thirty six five stars? I think this year. So yes. that's very close. And then four star Raul Aguirre from uh, Popo. Yeah, uh, yeah, the good nickname from Georgia, who's originally from Miami, number one twenty one. So just Miami continues. Continues to roll. They got the quarterback in place. They've, you know, they've. It's just uh, adding line of scrimmage, looking really good there. Here's a program that we have not talked about in recent weeks that's made a huge splash and kind of in that theme of first year coaches, Oklahoma and Brent Venables. Just a really, mm-hmm. really nice week for them. Yeah, and it's funny because I feel like Brent Venables kind of gets lost in the shuffle, and maybe that's my fault. I don't talk about him enough. Um, because it's just like Oklahoma was viewed as the wounded program that Lincoln Riley left. And like you forgot that they just got like the number one defensive coordinator in college football for the past 10 years. who has been a coveted head coaching candidate for a long time. And it's like all of a sudden Oklahoma, which has always been so offensive oriented and, and you know, really fun to watch, has a defensive minded coach who's still signing, um, you know, elite level offensive talent, but also adding in some defensive players into that mix. And it's just like four top 100 players already committed. And, you know, it seems like the class is every bit as balanced as every single or every bit as good as a Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma class has been, but it's a little bit more balanced. So I'm very curious to see what the product looks like when they start playing football games under him. And, you know, I wonder if they'll still be as exciting offensively. And if they are, then they add a little bit more pop on defense. Then that's the difference between making the playoff and winning a playoff game. Well, yeah. And they went out and one of his, first hires was Jeff Levy, the you know offensive coordinator from Ole Miss. So I, I'd see no reason why they won't uh, be fun on offense. And, they, and, and we don't talk – Jackson Arnold's kind of off the radar because he committed so early in the process. But he – you know, you saw him out. He was out at the Elite 11, right? Um, yeah, he's – yeah, I think he won it. Yeah, some people think he's maybe the best, you know, among the best. He's better than Arch Manning, yeah, people think. Yeah, quarterbacks in the class. So a uh, kid from Dallas, great early get there. Um, so they're up to number 11 with 14 commits. Um, so, uh, average of 90.775. There are four teams ranked below them with a higher average. So that's kind of what I've been looking at. You, I assume you agree with this thought process when I'm looking at average player ratings, it's still early, but if there aren't many teams below you, that means you've got staying power below you with a higher rating. So there's only four teams below Oklahoma with a higher average player rating. Um, so uh, you know, th- yeah, and it just means that you have a solid group of players. Yeah. So you know, it's not for whatever reason Oklahoma's always been kind of in that cool kids uh, club, but they haven't quite recruited to the level that like the Alabamas have recruited. So like I don't know if the expectation is that Brent Venables will reach those heights, but 
you know, they've always had a really good football team with really solid classes. And it seems like this is like if Lincoln Riley were the head coach and this were the class right now, I'd be like, okay. Yeah. Like this seems like, you know, good enough. Now, originally Oklahoma's 2023 class was insane. Like if you go back and look between uh, uh, before Lincoln Riley left, they had like all those five-star kids from California committed. But, um, you know, I, I like the direction that it's headed there for sure. Yeah. Another program that is surging upward, Tennessee, up to number five with 18 commits, two five-stars. Uh, Sunday, they get five-star edge rusher Shandavian Bradley from Missouri. Uh, four, then also recently four-star offensive tackle Shamarud Umarov. Uh, Cam Seldon, a uh, fringe top 100 athlete. I think he's going to play wide receiver at Georgia. So they are surging. Um, no reason to think Tennessee right now. You know, I've, some people have tweeted at us, you know, they got the number one class in the SEC. I, you know, I don't, we don't think that's going to hold. But no reason to think this isn't going to be a top 10 class. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, they're already uh, firmly placed there. Um, you know, number five overall, 91.53 average player or 90.42 average player ranking. Um, yeah, I mean, they've got uh, two five-star prospects and five players who are top 105 players. That's uh, definitely a solid class, you know, and it it looked like they were going to get a few other five stars that have committed elsewhere. But still, I would be happy if I were a Tennessee fan, especially less than a year removed from when they were trying to flip guys from, you know, group of five schools. So definitely a, a huge black and white difference between what they were doing last year and what they're doing now. All right, I want to talk about another SEC program that has had a lot of momentum in the past, and you've written about this coach a lot. Um, one of the coaches seems to get it, but he's in a he's he's at a place that historically hasn't. You know, they're not an elite recruiter, and, and that's Missouri. Um, I noted this when noticed this when uh, Bradley, uh, who's from Missouri, committed to Tennessee, and just how little buzz, how we're not hearing about Missouri, and it's a really good year in state. State has eleven. Blue chippers this year, four and five stars, five top 100 players. Those top five players, one's committed to Tennessee, number two's uncommitted, then committed to Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. Missouri has one in-state commitment from those 11 blue chippers, a tight end, Brett Norfleet. Last year, hope you're listening to these numbers because you've got to process them. Last year, eight blue chippers in the state. Missouri got four, so they got half. Definitely not on the path this year. Class is number 59 right now with seven commits. How much, How concerned are you for Missouri that in a good year in state that they're letting all these other so-called elite recruiting schools come in and steal the top guys? I just think that it's an important reminder of how hard it is to build something. And, you know, you look and you see a extraordinary class for, for Mizzou last year. And the initial thought process is, wow, great job. But the response really needs to be, can they do it again? Because you have to do it year over year over year for it to have a difference, you know? Um, and I'm not saying that they're dead in the water right now, but based on the numbers that you just read, it seems like it's going to be very hard to match the output that they had a year ago. Um, and, you know, that's just the reality of the situation. The teams that are winning the national championships and winning conference championships are the teams that recruit at a certain level year in and year out. And sustaining that is really, really difficult. And it's just like, look at Texas A&M right now. And who knows how they're going to end up, but it's not like they're anywhere near what they did last year. And it's like maybe they'll sign the number 11 class this year, and it'll be like, well, it's solid. And when you combine it with the year before, it's still really good, but it's like not Alabama level. Like in order to sustain the success of a individual class, you have to, you know, continue – to get those results and it's really hard 
It really is, especially if you're not an established program. So, like, I don't think you go from Eli Drinkwitz is like one of the best young understanding recruiting coaches in the country to he sucks. But like also, too, it's just like really hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, year it's after really, get, really hard. Uh, Luther Burden, five star wide receiver, basically yeah. an in-state kid from East St. Louis. And then something to note coming up this week, Sam Horn, the quarterback from Georgia, um, is I've talked about this in the uh, recent pod is will be drafted. He's a very good pitcher. Potential top two or three rounds. So that's something to watch. I read a little bit. I think he's planning on going to Missouri. He's going to be a tough sign for a major league team there, but that would be a huge blow to the the 2022 class if Sam Horn signs with an MLB team and does not enroll. does not mean he cannot return to football down the road, but that's something to watch. I'm sure sure he'll be tuned into the MLB draft on Sunday. Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll let me know if that happens. Yeah, I will. I will. I'll figure That's out a way a big you can. Deal. I'll figure if you can way you can bet on the MLB draft, and then you'll watch it. I was betting on a um, major league baseball game right before this, and yeah, uh, you won. I did win, but there was a player, Josh Bell, who apparently was going to go to Texas and chose baseball instead, and is really good. I didn't know that he was a football player until I watched the broadcast. There you go. Did you know that? Uh, yeah. I mean, the name rings a bell. Uh, so you didn't know that yeah i mean i knew he was a two-sport guy where's he from do you remember i'm gonna look him up i just was watching baseball on tv i wasn't that locked in okay he's on he's on the washington nationals i can google it for you real quick i I know i mean i know the name from baseball josh bell is from irving texas okay josh bell 247 sports what year is this uh he's 29 years old so i don't know if he has a profile or not different one this is a class of 2015 kid who went to uh troy and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, LSU, uh, real quick. Uh, similar theme as Oklahoma, Tennessee. Maybe not Tennessee, but it's the, the first-year coaches that have made a big splash. Like the, the crazy thing about LSU is the out-of-state commits. I mean, they're getting defensive linemen from Minneapolis, Indiana, in, Minneapolis, yeah. Indianapolis, Baltimore. Uh, Columbus, Georgia. They finally got an in-state running back yesterday, Caleb Jackson. 12 of their 15 commits are out of state, which you kind of brought up in your story today is a little good news, bad news. The the bad news is they're not dominating in-state like they usually are. The good news is there's still a lot of meat on that bone there for in-state kids. But I think that's – LSU fans are going to find fault with this class no matter what if there's a lack of Louisiana kids. LSU's class right now um – ranks number eight nationally right um and i'm looking at it right now they've got 15 commitments and if you would say that lsu has the number eight ranked class in the country with 15 commitments and none of the commitments are top 10 players in the state of louisiana you'd be like what that makes no sense like that's i don't even think i've ever seen this before and if you go look and see like the top 10 players in the state of louisiana I think three of the top four are committed elsewhere. Arch Manning to Texas, Derek Williams, a five-star safety, committed to Texas, and Eli Holstein committing to Alabama. And the number eight player is Amarian Miller, um, who's a number 100 overall player on the nose. He's committed to Nebraska. And 
Um, a few other guys have, you know, Tackett Curtis has crystal balls to Ohio State, and Jaden Osbury is is a Notre Dame. That'd be funny, a, a Notre Dame crystal ball favorite. Um, but there's still a few top 100 players, uh, top 150 players in the state that haven't committed yet that LSU is going to add to this class, I think, eventually. So it would be very weird if I only saw them sign one or two top 10 players in the state of Louisiana, especially during a cycle in which the top eight players are all top 100 players nationally. Um, but if he's going to recruit nationally and go to Miami and get a five-star corner and do all the things that he's doing, then, you know, I mean, like, this is the reason he's there. I mean, he's there to recruit nationally and to recruit locally and to sign top five classes that he couldn't sign, um, you know, at Notre Dame. And the the craziest thing that I'm, I'm really on alert for is if Oklahoma is going to sign a better class than USC this year and if Notre Dame is going to sign a better class than LSU this year, because that would be hilarious. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Because um, yeah. like yeah. that, like right now, it seems like Notre Dame is – talk about staying power. I mean, Notre Dame's got staying power. So um, – and Notre Dame usually doesn't. Like at this point, they might have the number three class in the country. And it's like, well, that's going to change. It's like this year they're number two and it might not. It might change. They might get to number one. Yeah, maybe they'll be number one. That would be something, man. If Notre Dame signed the number one overall class – I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but if it did, holy shit. Yeah. Like, because their their class is really really good right now. Marcus has done a really good job there so far. Yes, a lot of depth there. Um, so go back. Bro- Brody Miller wrote a good story last week about um, LSU fans. Like, kind of my point is sort of like a lot uneasy with Brian Kelly just because they they love to see LSU kids there. So maybe it'll take more more years of relationship building. His the point in the story was that like Brian Kelly recruited nationally at. Notre Dame. So he had national relationships. Cortez Hankin, the wide receiver coach from Georgia, um, you know, is, has recruited well. You know, a lot of their coaches who've come from elsewhere have done well with relationships built elsewhere. Maybe a year now that they're at LSU for next year's class will be a year and a half, two years. Maybe that'll pay dividends. So that'll be something to watch. I mean, you can't you can't be LSU's coach and not do well in Louisiana. Right. Like That's it's not gonna, sustainable. If it doesn't happen this year. They're gonna they'll get back in because the LSU and from what I understand like Louisiana kids view LSU the same way that Ohio kids view Ohio State and that they want to go play there and have wanted to play there since they were kids. Now it'd be weird if a you know four or five star prospect from Baton Rouge chose Notre Dame like that would be a hell of a story. But I, I anticipate I don't I never doubted that Brian Kelly will be able to get the Louisiana kids even if it doesn't happen right away. It'll happen eventually. One of the most significant commitments in the last week uh, was Clemson. Peter Woods, uh, five-star defensive lineman from Thompson High School in Alabaster, same high school as 2023 five-star cornerback Tony Woods, who's headed to Alabama. Alabama had two signees from that high school last year. Really, uh, Aaron Suttles wrote about it, kind of an emerging talent producer of that state. But Peter Woods to Clemson, a huge get for the Tigers because they just they just flat out beat Alabama. Obviously, Alabama yeah. won this kid. Yeah, I mean everybody wanted him, you know. And it's like everyone's always like, "Well, look at you that you're calling for the demise of Clemson football. You're an asshole." Like it's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt about it that this was a huge get for them. And you know, nobody has recruited the quarterback or the defensive line position better than Clemson historically in the last you know five ten years. So you know, absolutely great get for them. I'm very curious what their entire class is going to look like when it's all said and done. I think they've got the sixth best average player ranking right now, and I think they've got four fifth. top one hundred uh, yeah, players. Fifth, fifth. yeah, um, four top one hundred players nationally. I think that out of the seventeen commitments that they do have, you'd want to see that high that number a little bit higher. But sixteen of seventeen um, are blue chippers, so sixteen only one three star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's a great, it's a it's a good class. Is it an Alabama class? That's the way that we judge them, right? And it's not an Alabama class, but guys like Peter Woods are how you get there. So um, 
very curious to see how their class maps up and certainly one of the more significant commitments in the last few weeks. A couple more commitments to go over and then we'll maybe go to the mailbag for a few minutes. Um, this was notable. Penn State flipped four-star safety Elliott Washington, number 110 overall from Florida, but an Alabama commit. So uh, Penn State, that's uh, shortly after losing – uh, quarterback Marcus Stokes to Florida to go flip a kid from the south from Alabama. That's uh, pretty impressive. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a legitimate flip, too, from what I understand. So, you know, Penn State's back. They've got a $100 million head coach. You know, that's what you expect. So, you know, they need to go find a quarterback now. But if Drew Aller hits and, um, you know, they get another solid class in this year, Penn State should be a really tough team for the next four or five years. Speaking of another $100 million coach, Michigan State gets uh, edge rusher by Job. Uh, from Oklahoma, number 64. I don't think he's, he's not from Oklahoma, but he goes to high school there. First I don't think he's from America. I think he's yeah. from out of the country somewhere. Right. Yeah. First top 100 commit for Mel Tucker. <laughs> They're going to win a national title in three years. Yep. Three? Mark my words. Okay. If not this year, then next year. Yeah. We need uh, to see uh, Michigan State, USC in the playoffs in the next three years. I felt bad for Michigan State because, like, they started the pancake honcho, like, pancake photo shoot and seemed to knock their visit out of the park there. And it's like the guy visited three other places and now it's <laughs> just going to end up at Miami. It's like, shit. <laughs> but they uh, they have a really good class for Michigan State standards and they're building something there that is more impressive than I gave them credit for. And that was a really nice get for them. Now, he's from he's from Oklahoma or, like, lives near uh, near Oklahoma's campus, but he doesn't have affiliation to Oklahoma. So... Um, yeah, but no question about it. That's the type of guy that Michigan State, if they're going to get him, keep doing it, and they'll be much better at football. It's a very simple formula. All right, let's hit a few mailback questions. Um, this is topical because we were just talking about uh, Alabama. Brent S., how big of a deal is Alabama's loss of Peter Woods to Clemson? There's been a lot of speculation that Saban is losing his touch in the slow start. Alabama's class in 2023. Any true signs of this or just the same old story that will shake out with Alabama number one, number two by the end of this early signing period? Uh, I think it's the second part. I mean, I, mean, I doubt it. I like after the year they got their ass kicked by Clemson in the playoff, they had a really slow start to the recruiting, the recruiting uh, cycle the following year. And I like wrote something about like on alert for Nick Saban decline. And then they signed the number one overall class in the history of recruiting that year. So I'm just like, <laughs> What is their average player ranking right now? They've got, like, they're way down there it's in like the rankings, three, but think. it's like 93.65. Is that two behind yeah, Ohio State? I think it's State number two. Dame, two behind Ohio State. Uh, it's, Ohio State's got 93.67, and they're 93.65. I think it's number two by by uh, a fraction of a, of a metric point. So, like, okay. it's their number one. They're basically tied for number one right now. Yeah, and They've got 11 commits. I don't know what their, their class size is going to be, but... Yeah, I mean, if you're think about having two top 100 players and four uh, or five top 100, or sorry, two five star prospects and four um, five top 100 players and being afraid of the slow start, that's the standard there, I guess. And it's such a good year in the state of Alabama. Just the math uh, math of it, they're not going to sign everyone. So it's like news when a top 100 kid from Alabama commits elsewhere, and not saying that Alabama didn't want. Obviously, they wanted Woods, but they can't take every good player in state this year. Well, especially because I think like six out of the nine players in the in the top 100 the in the state right? of Alabama are defensive linemen. Right. So like it's 
they're kind of concentrated at the same position. So yeah, so it's 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 you know, but it, they didn't want they wanted Peter Woods, and they didn't get Peter Woods, so that might open the door for them to take another one of them. Like they're yeah. gonna they're gonna get their guys out of Bama too. And it's like with me, I don't even look at Alabama's geography and care. Like they're just gonna go get five star prospects from everywhere, no matter what. So let Alabama sign the number nine overall class, then we'll analyze it until it happens. I might even consider it as a possibility. Yeah, um, I was gonna bring this up when we were talking about LSU because you mentioned Brian Kelly's job as a recruiter, Cam. P, I follow LSU very closely and have noticed two things recently. A prevailing sentiment nationally that Brian Kelly is not a good recruiter and a number of LSU's recent commits highlighting assistant coaches and off-field recruiting staffers as being integral in their recruitment. My question is, how important is a head coach's individual recruiting prowess when so many of today's top programs have massive recruiting staffs and budgets? I mean, it's, it's not as important as it was maybe 10 years ago, but it's still important. And, like, if you ask Pete Sampson, who covered Brian Kelly at Notre Dame for years, he'll be the first one to tell you that he wasn't, like, a huge, passionate recruiting nut. Like, when Ur- when I covered Urban Meyer at Ohio State, I mean, that man woke up in the morning and, like, was reading about strategies about recruiting with his Cheerios. Like, that guy was thinking about recruiting incessantly, probably more so than game planning. And I think that's important, especially if you have a good closer. Um, and I've always wondered, like, what Brian Kelly's results were going to be at LSU if he kind of was a CEO type that let his staff do it because you do need to have that that head coach who can be the ace in the hole and close the deal I mean that's what Nick Saban does over and over and over again so having a really good recruiting staff that understands that you need to go nonstop 100 miles an hour forever is is obviously important and having a recruiting staff with a solid infrastructure is also important but I'm never going to downgrade the the importance of the head coach and what it means to to close these guys yeah, I think it sums up. It's 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 great. You can at a place like LSU, you can enjoy success if you have a head coach who's not an elite recruiter. But it's much it's much better to have one. I mean, yeah, you know, you just. I think your your Marcus Freeman example is perfect there. I mean, Notre Dame is where they are because their head coach is an elite recruiter and is involved with every part of the process. Um, so sort of like the Joey McGuire model at Texas Tech too. That he was hired to be to be a recruiter. Um, Cy F, with all the realignment drama going on, I haven't seen a major downturn in recruiting within the Pac-12. Whether it's Oregon or Oregon State, they're continuing to get commitments. I would have assumed recruits would be hesitant to commit to uncertain teams. Why isn't this the case, and will it change if this uncertainty persists? Was this about? Uh, was that about uh, the conference expansion? I missed the first part. Yeah, with all the realignment drama going on, I haven't. seen I mean, the realignment drama has been going on for nine days, so like, I don't think we're there yet. You yeah. know, um, like the Dante Moore thing. It's just like if I were Dante Moore, I would have been like, "Hold on a minute, I'm going to just take a minute and like digest this." Like when he committed to Oregon three days after that news came out, like I thought that was pretty cool. So like, I think that it's going to have an impact on the recruiting eventually. Um, but I think that we're kind of in the eye of the storm still, and I'm not sure exactly how this is all going to shake out. So, you know, if, if Oregon's still in the Pac-12 in 24 months from now, and, you know, those two teams are gone and there hasn't been any more change, then I think they're going to see a, an actual impact on that. But I don't know if you're going to see stuff, you know, immediately happening. So um, I think this is just a situation that you have to monitor long term. And, you know, I think the prevailing thought is that Oregon will find a way to find itself in one of those conferences anyway. So maybe if you're a recruit, you just kind of trust that the process will work out the way that you hope it will. Um, but if there are two super conferences and teams are left out of it, not playing in those super conferences is going to have an impact on the amount of money that your program is bringing in and the competition that it plays. And I think that absolutely will have an impact on who's coming into your school. 
Yeah, and I also think the question was just about kids, just random kids committing to Arizona, Oregon State. You know, kids in the 500 to 800 range who are committing to a lot of schools in the Pac-12. Sure, conference is important to them, but they, they've built relationships with these coaches for months, and they're going to go ahead and grab a spot that's there. Like Oregon State, I think I slacked you this, but got its highest recruit. Remember, 2018 was – uh, they, or 2017, they were the program that had gone the longest without signing a blue chip recruit, and they still haven't signed it. But Kelsey Howard, number 228 overall from Las Vegas, commits to Oregon State after this news broke. Um, so here's a kid that obviously felt comfortable with Oregon State, felt comfortable with that coaching staff. So they will, all these Pac-12 schools will continue to sign kids. It's just, I think it affects the more high-end kids, the Dante Moores of the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm with you. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm with you, bud. Okay. Um, Ready for a little trivia? I'm ready for some trivia. Yeah. How many uh, programs have signed two top 100 players nationally at the quarterback position in the last 20 years? It's similar. Okay. Ask last me. year's question was very good. Last week's question. Should I what repeat What was last it? week's question? Because I haven't listened to the podcast okay. yet. I'll just, I won't let you, you can just answer real quick because hopefully, you know, hopefully we have regular listeners that, that listened and, and heard it. Assuming Caden Proctor signs with Iowa, he will be the first top 10 recruit to sign with Iowa in the modern era. How many schools have signed only one top 10 player? Since 2002. Only one? Yes. Iowa would be one of them. That's a hard <laughs> question, bro. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's like some a, research on that one. That one might probably took a long time for you to research. Um, I'll say seven. Ten. Okay. Okay. I can okay. live with that. Iowa, Travis Hunter at Jackson State, uh, Houston at Oliver, Washington, Shaq Thompson, Cal, Keenan Allen, Colorado, Daryl Scott, North Carolina, Marvin Austin. That surprised me a little bit. Like they've had a lot of close. Like Zach Rice was number 11 this year. Yeah. Uh, West Virginia, Noel Devine, Arkansas, Mitch Mustaine, Rutgers. I don't remember this guy existing. Nate Robinson, not the football player, not the basketball player. Uh, and BYU, Ben Olsen. So, Interesting. Okay, this week. I'll take seven. At least I didn't embarrass myself. No. Um, Landis said six, and then Antonio did the old uh, Price is Right, just went one higher and get, said seven. Oh, so what I a, got it. That's such a cop-out. <laughs> uh, over the last 10 recruiting cycles, from 2014 through 2023, how many times has a team signed two top 100 players in the same class? Two top 100 quarterbacks. Three. And I'm not counting Ohio State in 2021 because Quinn. Why? Because he he reclassified. So when they signed the guys, they didn't. Well, that sign. was part of my answer. Well, dumbass, you should have kept your answer because you were right two. without it. No, you were right without it. Oh, three. Yes. So, but Quinn Ewers should not count. Ohio State. They signed them. They, they didn't so go what happens intention. afterward. Yeah, but they didn't yeah. go. In, it's more about intent and ability to sign two players in the same class. What they were signed, the other classes? Uh, USC in 21. Yep. Jackson, that was Jake Garcia's class, right? Jackson, no. Well, yeah, it was. But Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Jackson Dart and Miller Moss. That's right. My bad. Uh, Jake Garcia was in that class and then signed with Miami. Miami. Texas in 2020. Hudson Card and Jaquindon Jackson. Washington in 2018. Carson Yankov and Jacob Sermon. So Carson who? Yankov. Yankov. How many? Well, I, we can't. It's too early for Dart and Moss. 
but not exactly a lot of long-term starters in that group there. So, well, I mean, Dart left already. Yeah, so it's already a bust. It's so yeah. did in Jackson, Jaquin and Jackson did too. So what happened to Yankoff? He, I think, he transferred to UCLA, I believe. Now all the Washington okay. quarterbacks have transferred. So, um, it's a lot of comings and goings, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're gonna anything else? Are you, are you happy to be back? I'm happy to be back. I am sorry not to feel so great, so I'm gonna close the show. I need to take a storm, uh, like a nice warm shower, steam a little bit. Um, Andy just sent me a message about recording tomorrow that I read and blacked out. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. That was Stars Matter. We'll catch you next week. <laughs> <laughs>